We are wrapping up a three-week teaching series where we've been talking a lot about bridges, bridges, building bridges. Uh, two weeks ago, when we opened up, we talked about the biggest bridge. God built this bridge called Grace, and we just talked about that at length and what it means for us to be able to have access to the presence of God. That's huge. That was week one. Last week, we took a step back from God's big bridge, and we recognized that each one of us has uh, a privilege and a responsibility to help other people build a bridge to God's bridge. And so we build, I don't know, merging lanes for people. And what does it mean to get into the lives of other people, uh, tell them about the good news of the gospel, and then help them find their way to Jesus? And so as a church, we say, a lot of our stuff says we're church for people who don't like church. What does that mean? One thing that we can do is help tear down the walls that have kept people from going to church and accessing God and trying Christianity so that we can build a bridge to Jesus, the most important thing, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so that was last week. This week, uh, we're talking about a practical part of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to walk on that bridge daily? What does it mean to actually get up and do the Christian life thing? Um, You might remember uh, the infamous Bridge to Nowhere You remember that from the 2008 presidential campaign? Uh, Apparently there was this little island in Alaska, uh, had about 50 residents, and the government had approved to build this $4 million bridge uh, to go to this little island to uh, access for about 50 people. And uh, famously, Sarah Palin says she's not gonna build it, and uh, the rest is just a story I don't care about. But the the point is, there was a bridge, and they called it the Bridge to Nowhere. Why? Because nobody was gonna use it. Now, God's bridge is not a bridge to nowhere. It's a bridge to his grace, it's a bridge to his presence, it's, it's, it's a bridge to eternal life, but a lot of people will know about it, be aware of it, yet still never use it, never get on the bridge, and what's sad is many of them are the people who know Jesus, who've accepted him as their savior, they've been baptized in him and everything. They might even come to church. They got like the toll pass, like for the last day, <laughs> but they don't actually live on it every day. And today what I wanna talk about is what does it look like for us to live in the life that God has for us? And to get there, I wanna use a single word, and the word is follow, follow. Um, following is something we do a lot these days, especially because of social media, you follow people. Uh, we do things on social media that we'd never do in real life. Like you would never go to a complete stranger's house like shimmy the, the door open and go in, look for their photo albums, find the one from their summer vacation and begin to feverishly flip through it, you know, and look and like, oh, I like that one, I like that one, I like that. Like, that's weird, but we do that on Facebook and stuff all the time. We're like, like creeping into people's lives and uh, it would be awkward, like if the homeowner showed up and like, dude, what are you doing in my living room? It's okay, I'm a friend of your friend, you know, like, I'm good, but we do that. We follow people. Um, That's not the kind of following we're talking about today. Uh, When I think about following, um, I I remember a story. I think I was in about the seventh grade. Uh, There was a basketball game on TV this week. Maybe you saw it between some team in Chapel Hill, some team in Durham, uh, and uh, there was some shoe mishap. um, (laughs) And so it was a Duke and Carolina game, and it it was... uh, I was in middle school. I went to go, go see one at the Dean Dome. It was really cool. Um, my friend had season tickets. I, I learned later in life that that's not normal. Um, this guy had a privilege. But I got to go to see this game a couple different times. And this one time we were there, we were not there for the basketball. We had gone with the explicit purpose of trying to find cute girls. Done. Easy. So we spent the whole game like walking up and down the corridors. And we found this little... 
I don't know what you call a group of middle school girls, like a, a gaggle. Um, is that a good word? So it was like a gaggle of middle school girls, and we were like, that's the one, that's the one. Now, here's the thing. Our social skills had not developed to the point where we knew what to do next. So this is what we chose to do. They weren't there for the game either, I guess. They were just walking along, talking, and wherever they went, we would just go there too. <laughs> so like they're getting like this the pretzel, this soft pretzel stand, and we're like standing over here by like the other stuff, like looking. <laughs> And then they go get a drink, and we're like, oh, they're moving. So we'd move to the drink. They went to the bathroom like 16 times, and um, we're standing outside just waiting. And when they come by, we're like, and we did that, and it was great. I mean, it was awesome. Like, we followed them around until eventually um, I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around, and there was a, a man dressed in a police officer's uniform. <laughs> and he said, hey, boys, the girls have, have asked me to ask you to please stop following them. <laughs> Which is totally a lie because we never saw them talk to the police officer. <laughs> we followed them everywhere. I don't know how he knew. But we were just like, oh. Um, that's also not the kind of following I'm talking about today. That's creepy. Don't do that. You'll go to jail. The type of following I'm talking about today is what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Because I think a lot of times when it comes to following Jesus, we do it in some of those other ways. Uh, we do it kind of secretly. We kind of do it on the side when it's convenient. But that's not at all what we see when we read the Bible and people are following Jesus. Uh, today, to understand the word follow, I said that's our word, but I, I want to kind of redefine follow when it comes to Christianity. The word the Bible most often is translated there is the word disciple. Discipleship. In fact, the same word that can be translated disciple could also be understood as a follower or a learner. And when Jesus would approach someone that he wanted to kind of impact their life, he would invite them to follow him. And what he was asking them to do is come and be a disciple of mine. For example, we can read about it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus is calling Peter and Andrew to come and, and be disciples of him. And this is what we see. They're out fishing in their boats, and he just says, hey, come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. It's this message, come and follow me. We see it again in Luke uh, chapter five. He's calling this guy named Matthew. Here we see him uh, by one of his other names, Levi. Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector named Levi. He was sitting in his booth. What does Jesus say? Follow me. Levi got up. He left everything and followed him. And over and over and over, what we see in the Bible is we see people being found in their regular, ordinary life, like whatever they're doing. Levi was at work. Uh, Peter and Andrew were at work. In fact, almost everyone that Jesus calls to follow him, they're just at work. They're doing the thing that they do to kind of make their, their, uh, their living. And he walks right into their life. And I love, none of these people are perfect. None of them are like uh, highly educated theologians. Most of them, all of them, are just normal people. And he says, but this is what I want for you. I want you to follow me. Jesus was what they would call at the time a rabbi. Uh, there were lots of rabbis. A rabbi was a teacher of the Jewish, uh, kind of Jewish way of life, the Jewish law. Uh, there are still rabbis today in, in the Jewish religion. And a rabbi is the person who kind of teaches some way. And, and the way that, that they would primarily teach was they would get their, their, their students to kind of live alongside them, to literally, like physically, 
follow them. Uh, there's this kind of concept of the dust of the rabbi. Like if I'm following behind my teacher close enough to where the dust of, of the trail where we're walking gets kind of kicked up on me, that means I'm close enough. That means I'm in life with him and I get to do that. Um, it's a very effective way to learn because what you get to do is you get to see that teacher in all facets of life. You see him first thing in the morning. You see him late at the end of the day when he's grumpy. You see him preparing meals. If there's work that you do together, you do it together. You get to see how he just acts in everyday life. And, and through that, the rabbi begins to look for teachable moments. And so you see all the time when Jesus is walking with these guys, he's like, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like this field. And it'll explain it. The kingdom of heaven is like the, it's like the birds of the air. It's like these flowers. Because they're just living life together. And if they have questions, they don't have to wait till question time at the end of class. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? You, said, you said this thing about the flowers, but let me ask, what do you mean? And then he would have the chance to explain it. Very effective way of teaching. You know, in college, I had some great professors. And, and the, the greatest professors I have, I might would get four, five, six hours a week with them. And it's good, but it's in a lecture setting. You know, there's textbooks and there's tests and there's grades I'm trying to achieve. Um, this following method with Jesus was not so much about passing on information so you can pass a test. It was about embodying a lifestyle and following in the footsteps of someone that you want to be like. Come follow me. So when Jesus said, follow me, these guys knew that they weren't signing up for, you know, night class at the community college. It wasn't just something to get an extra certificate. They, they were going to follow him. They were going to set up camp with him every night. They were going to eat the same meals as him, and they were going to learn from him daily. The original 12 disciples, there were 12 followers, uh, they spent time with him for about three and a half years, and that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And over that time, they saw Jesus do a lot of things. They heard him teach. They heard him recite pages and pages and pages of scripture that he had memorized and, and kind of teach on that. They heard him proclaim that he was the son of God. They heard him say the kingdom of God is near. They saw him do miracles to show that he was more than just a mere man, but that he was God in the flesh. They saw him have compassion on the poor and spend time with the outcast and hang out with people with incurable diseases and hug people who had no one. They saw him show mercy on people who were living in sinful lifestyles and offer them an alternative and give them forgiveness. They didn't get that in a classroom setting. There were thousands of people who learned about Jesus and began to follow him. And there were times where as Jesus was going from town to town to town, he would have to like sneak away just to get some private time for him to pray. And these hordes of people were going, and a lot of them to hear him teach, yes, because maybe they wanted him to be their rabbi too. Many of them, admittedly, because they heard he was giving out free food or that he was healing people who were sick. They're bringing my sick daughter to you just because I heard that. But whatever the case, people are physically finding themselves in the presence of Jesus. Um, what the, apostles all, the, the disciples also got to see was they got to see Jesus when he was confronted, when he had to deal with conflict. They saw him smoothly navigate some of his enemies trying to pin him against the wall. They saw him be arrested for his teaching. They saw him unfairly tried in front of a bogus court. And they saw him sentenced to execution by crucifixion. They saw him die. This is a part we often skip. They had a funeral for Jesus. And then you know what else they saw? They saw him raised from the dead, appear again, and begin to teach again. These original disciples, these learners, 
these followers, they had their lives transformed not by attending church, not by volunteering once a week at PTA, but by following Jesus, by being close enough to see how he would react in situations, and by imitating him in their lives. Jesus' last words to these followers, and I believe his word to the church today is this. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. I mean, he's about to go and be in heaven. He's done all his work on earth, and he's got some instructions for the church, and this is where they are. He says, listen, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make, what does he say make? Disciples. Make followers. Don't make, okay, listen to what I'm about to say. Don't make Christians Make disciples. That sentence I just said is going to hit us in all kind of different areas, depending on your background with church. But I want to clarify what Jesus says here. These are his words. Go get people to follow me. Make disciples. He teaches, you know, teaching them everything that I've commanded you, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said, I will be with you always to that very end of the age. And after years of following, these disciples find themselves in a really awkward position. They've been looking at Jesus as their rabbi, and then Jesus says, hey, you, go be the rabbi. What? And many times you can see where they feel inadequate, where they've got to learn, they've got to pray, and there's a whole thing. God sends his Holy Spirit, which comes and teaches them and continues to teach us, and that's, that's a whole different thing. But what I want to talk about today is we look at the bridge that God built and our opportunity to access him. God didn't call us to heaven. That's like the reward. He called us to follow Jesus. In church, if we're not doing that, we're missing the thing that God gives us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to tell us uh, we have a privilege and a responsibility, not only to go and tell people about Jesus. Uh, we, we, we talk about that a lot as churches, and that's kind of good language. Tell people about Jesus, invite them to church. But this is not what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He didn't say, go and start a marketing campaign so that we can have a good representation among the world religions. That's not what his instructions were. He didn't say, go make people aware of my existence. He said, go and make disciples. What does that look like? Uh, when I was in the sixth grade, uh, I got bitten by a bug. Uh, it was the music bug. Oh, man. I think it was about the sixth grade when I just, it hit me that, like, I need music in my life. It started probably when my dad introduced me to his record collection, and so I had his old record player in my room, and I'm just cranking out records, and I'm listening to, I hit a lot of the Beatles, Steve Miller Band, and the Doobie Brothers in Chicago, which I'm just like, These, this is amazing. I didn't know this was existed, and so I'm just cranking that stuff out. I go to school, my friends introduced me to Nirvana and Metallica and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. What? This is beautiful, and I'm just pouring it into my life. I, on my own, discovered Jimi Hendrix changed my life, Bob Marley, and the police. And there's just so much, and I'm not a dancer, so I didn't know what to do with all of this input, so I decided to output it through musical instruments. You don't want to see me dance. 
So with that, I, I picked up a guitar. My dad gave me a guitar. I started learning chords. Uh, I joined the school band. I started out playing trombone. Speaking of picking up ladies, that's the way you do it. Uh, my band director showed that I had an aptitude for this, and so uh, we needed some trumpet players, so he changed me over to trumpet, and I picked up that. Uh, in the process, uh, I, I, uh, I, I joined the pep band, yeah, because I wasn't playing football, but doggone if I wasn't going to support the team, <laughs> you know, and, and I joined the jazz band, and I started a rock band out of a garage, and we played really loud, probably horrible music. We wrote our own songs, and it was like, I am Fool, I love this. And it just continued and continued and continued. In high school, uh, I was in several other rock bands. I picked up um, uh, bass guitar and drums, a little bit of keys. Um, I played music at church every week. I believe now uh, that I did that because I loved music at first, not because I loved Jesus. That shifted for me later in life, but because I was like, man, this is a chance to play music. And every chance I got, I realized, without, without realizing it, I had completely immersed myself in music. I had become, and I'm gonna use our word, a follower, a disciple of music. I wanted to be with it every single day. I practiced literally for hours and hours and hours on every instrument that I could get my hands on. It got to a point where I started getting offered scholarships to, to, to go to schools and be in the band programs. Uh, I, I got to start uh, tutoring other students, like in music theory and other different instruments. And I was like, this is my life. This is what I want to do. If you knew me, you knew that Chris loved music. I woke up thinking about it. I had notebooks. I mean, books on tops of books on tops of books of songs I had written and poetry I was working on. And anyone who knew me knew that I was a, not just a fan of music. I'm all in. Um, discipleship is an interesting thing because discipleship can be both passive and active. It, it can be something that happens to you, and it can be something that you pursue with someone else. I use my music as an example, and if you have a hobby like that in your life, you recognize that it's something that you begin to pursue, and if you really want to know more about it, you, you can go out and you can find masters at your craft, and you can ask to uh, be discipled by them. Uh, we might call it lessons. We might call it being tutored. We might call it mentoring. But you ask for permission. But you also begin to put out this information and you begin to create a student base and you have people who follow what you do. When it comes to being discipled uh, by Jesus, this is also true. It can be active and it can be passive. But when you're doing it, people around you know that it's what you're about. What you doing today? Well, I got a meeting with somebody. Oh, really? Oh, that's right. You're reading the Bible, you're, you're being discipled, or you're discipling someone. One of the greatest disciples that ever lived was a guy named Paul. We talk about Paul all the time. He wrote the majority of our New Testament of our Bible. And Paul was a guy, remember, this is a guy who was, uh, when we first meet Paul, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a religious terrorist. He was dragging Christians out of their homes and killing them if they didn't renounce their faith in Jesus. This is Paul. But then he meets Jesus, and it changes his life. And he begins to surround himself with people and opportunities to learn about and grow in his understanding of Jesus. He became a follower of Christ. But he says something in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to tell you, this sentence I'm about to read to you is the reason I'm teaching this lesson today. Because I read this sentence, and it, it struck me between the eyes, and I said, we need to remember this. This is cool. This is 1 Corinthians 11:1. 1. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians 11 and the surrounding chapters, I don't know that I would look at that and say, well, this is, uh, this is some chapters about discipleship. It's about how to disciple people. It's not. Paul is addressing some of the issues that are happening in the Corinthian church, and he's just talking to them. But right in the middle of that, he feels it necessary to say, 
follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I think there's a lot we can learn from Paul here. Uh, he, he was apparently good at a lot of things. He was a great public speaker. He could convince entire communities to change their faith. Like that's, that's a pretty big deal, okay? Uh, he was very knowledgeable and ex- extremely intelligent. Um, no one else had this like stick that Paul had. Like the dude's like, um, I've been stoned to death, um, but I guess I'm just gonna take one more breath and get up and do it again. I've been shipwrecked and bitten by a poisonous snake. Let's just keep talking about Jesus. I've been threatened with my life countless times. Let's keep being, uh, uh, that's, this is Paul, okay? So Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He says the same thing in a similar way to the Philippian church. This is in Philippians 3.17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. There's that same idea. Follow my example. Imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. On the surface, this seems kind of arrogant of Paul. I don't know if, if that struck you that way. We, we, we ought not put Paul on a pedestal equal with Jesus. It's easy to do that because like his name's in the Bible a lot of times. Um, he's just a man. So how dare he tell us to like follow him? Aren't we supposed to be following Jesus? Why am I going to follow Paul? But you don't have to read Paul long to realize that Paul was more than aware of his faults. He's got entire sections of his writings dedicated to his own sin and the fact that he's stuck in it and that it's temptation and he's trying to grow. There's a race he's trying to run. He's doing his best to finish strong. Like he talks about his weakness and he doesn't say, become just like me. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And what I love about that is this, you can read it into this if you want to. I like it this way. In the ways that I'm not like Jesus, don't do that. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying my goal is to follow Jesus. You remember the, uh, the, the WWJD bracelets? They were real popular in the 90s, man. They were everywhere. What would Jesus do? And they were everywhere. Um, and uh, they were a cool reminder you know, you put them on, what would Jesus do? They became a fad. I think they got to a point where even Christians were like, I'm not gonna wear that. Like, it's, I don't even, it doesn't mean anything anymore. But it's a really cool reminder because to have something in your life that reminds you, hey, there's a question you should ask before you do anything. What would Jesus do? There is a linear connection in all of discipleship that points back to Jesus. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, He's not pointing people just to himself. He's pointing people to Jesus. And as any of the early disciples began to make other disciples, what were they doing? Tearing down walls that have kept people away from God and building a bridge to point to who? Jesus, over and over and over. What does it mean to be a follower? I think that there's two sides of this, okay? Um, I said that discipleship could be both active and it can be passive. And I think the very first step, and it's a step that a lot of us skip, is this one. One, you've got to first be a disciple. Passively, you've got to let people speak into your life. Is there anyone in your life that, like Paul, you could look to and go, I want to follow their example as they follow Christ. I want to imitate them. When, when we set ourselves at the goal of, I want to be like Jesus, it doesn't take long for us to realize, man, I'm never going to hit it. But if I can look at someone who's doing their best and say, I want to be like that person as they're being like Christ, I can start to get somewhere. 
There's a passive thing that happens in discipleship. And before you can go out and begin building bridges for everybody else, you got to ask yourself the question, who's pouring into me? Who am I going to regularly? And I'm giving them permission to speak into my life, to call me out when I've missed the mark, to encourage me when I've done well, that when I hit a wall, I can go to them and say, hey, listen, have you ever been here? Because I'm here right now. And that's a passive angle of of discipleship, of following Jesus. The disciples, the original ones, they spent three and a half years being poured into daily by Jesus. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. Uh, maybe you read books a lot. Maybe you, uh, you read your Bible on your own. That's great. You pray on your own. All these things are good. But do you have someone that you meet face to face with or maybe over the phone? Maybe the first person that invited you to church or maybe... Someone you kind of called and just said, listen, I look up to you. I was wondering if maybe we could meet and you could help me grow in my faith. I recognize that we're all at different places in our journey, our faith journey. You might be someone here this morning who's like, I don't know, I just got here. I really just got here. Uh, I thought it was a three-on-three basketball tournament, so I came to the Y, and, but I'm still here because the coffee was decent. Like Maybe you, you're literally like, I'm just getting started in this. I don't even know if I want to continue. Let me tell you this, man. There are people in this world who are doing their best to live for God and they're trying to imitate Jesus and some of them are in this room right now and they would love to spend some time with you just hearing your story. And so maybe the, the story for you is just to come back next week, maybe meet some people. Uh, we're going bowling in a few weeks as a church. Like come bowl with somebody and get to know them and it can lead to that relationship. In Hebrews 13 verse seven, there's a great passage to remember the writer there is talking about, uh, he's talking about all kinds of fundamental Christian values. He talks about hospitality. He talks about sexual purity. He talks about generosity. He talks about truth. These are the things that are being spoken about in that, that context. But when he gets to verse uh, seven, he says, this is Hebrews thirteen seven. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We have permission from God to put people in our life to mentor us in our faith. And that is the first step of being a disciple is to come in and say, I need to learn. I need to grow. Uh, I'm gonna talk in a minute about how maybe you can take some steps to do that if you want to, but I just wanna ask this question. Who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? I'm gonna tell you this. Whatever you're a disciple of, everybody knows. If you're a Cubs fan, everybody knows it. Like, it's, it's good. If like you're really into uh, CrossFit, every, believe me, everybody knows that you work out, okay? You can stop telling us about what time you wake up in the morning. Is there a point in your life where you're imitating Jesus, and is there someone in your life that is discipling you? That's the question. That's the challenge. Um, that's the passive side of discipleship. The active side is actually uh, the exciting part. Um, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you enjoy being poured into it. That is pretty exciting too. But the active part is uh, this thing where we get to step in and pour into someone else's life. You know, Jesus gave this command, this instruction to the first followers, go and make disciples. And so it's not our job to just come to church and be spoon-fed or to wait for everybody to solve all of our problems. Like that's a cool thing and it's great to have people pouring into us. But the call of the church is to go. Make followers, make disciples. And so you can go to people in your life and invite them. Hey, can I invite you to join this journey with me of my faith? Let's just start right where I am. And what's really neat is you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a degree from a seminary. The biggest, best story you could tell to anybody is 
your story about what God's doing in your life. And maybe the person you're talking to has got questions that you can't answer. Great, that means you both get to study and you get to learn together. There's an active participation part of discipleship. And that's what we talked about a lot last week, going out and telling people the message of Jesus, but it's not just to get them at church. It's not just to get them saved, which is, a, is the, you know, the big picture goal, to have our sins forgiven and to be able to be in the presence of God, but it's to be able to walk with them, like be in their life, to care about them. And you, you never know. You might end up being a rabbi and have an opportunity to say, you know, the kingdom of God is a lot like this uh, car payment that you can't make. Uh, and then you have to come up with your own analogy because I didn't plan that one. Um, I don't know the best way to systematize discipleship. The church has been working on it for centuries. You can go to a bunch of different churches in town and, and they can tell you the best way to be a disciple is to attend church on Sunday morning. Does discipleship happen on Sunday morning? Yeah, it does. There's some pouring in that maybe I'm doing or someone on stage is doing, but it's more of a lecture setting. It's more like the professor, college student type thing. Um, so that can't be it. Discipleship happens at small groups. Does discipleship happen at small groups? Definitely it can. It definitely can. Um, but that doesn't always work for everybody. Maybe the small group is, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of different reasons. It's, it's topical, or maybe it's about, uh, I was in a small group la last year, and, and our best way to get together was to share meals together. Did discipling happen? Yes, but it wasn't very intentional. It just, it just happened. There's a lot of different ways. Is it that we get in the book club and we read together? There's a lot of different ways. And, and uh, I, I think that, I, I'm friends with, I mean, lots of pastors, probably hundreds of pastors over the nation, and I've, I've been doing ministry for a really long time. And when, when we talk, and we get to talk about what is something at your church you wish you could do better at, I think the number one answer that I have heard is, I wish we could be better at discipleship. Because you can't systematize relationships. You can't. That's awesome. We're going to sign up on this table for best friends today. So uh, just pick your favorite eye color, favorite football team, and, uh, you know, favorite restaurant, and we're going to pair you together, and you're going to have a best friend by Thursday. That's not, that's not how relationships work. So the best thing I've learned to do is just talk about it a lot, to try to live it out of my own life, and then to encourage other people to do the same thing. So, so can we be on that same page? I mean, I don't want to act like we have answers that we don't have. I think the answer is the one that Jesus said. Hey, you want to follow me? Maybe that's the question. Maybe you want to reword it for 2019 because that's a little creepy. But the question remains the same. Let's do life together. Um, when I was being discipled as a musician, uh, I was discipled by musicians. And it was every day. And sometimes it was like there would be people that I was, a, I was their teacher and they were my student, but then I would learn from them. I love how discipleship goes both ways. It doesn't have to be set up like I'm on a pedestal and you're down here, you know, kneeling at my feet because that will break quickly. But if you can get across the same table and say, listen, I'm just here to talk about God together. Uh, I'm in discipleship with several people who we do it um, together. There's not really like a hierarchy of who's in charge. <laughs> it's just like when we get together, let's just talk about what's good about God, what I'm learning about him, and how I can grow my faith. And I think that as we get excited about what God's doing in our church, in our city, more important, like in your lives, and your families, the number one thing we can be doing as a church is inviting other people to come experience that with us. Because that is how the bridge works. 
We get to walk on it daily. We get to say, I'm all in. And we find ourselves uh, in this place where we finally realize that when we're living daily on the bridge of grace that God built, we are right where he wants us. I get to preach about a lot of things at our church. And we talk about family. And we talk about finances. And we talk about uh, different scriptural concepts and theological things. But, But you know, all of that is just like knowledge and stuff and kind of noise if we're not a disciple. Let's be a church of disciples. Let's be a church of people who are following Jesus in the dust of the rabbi. And let's be a group of people who are leaning on one another. One of Jesus' first disciples, his name was John, and he writes this about this walk that we have with God. This is in uh, 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 5. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. And if we claim fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, listen to this, we have fellowship with one another, So I was just talking about, spending time together, growing together, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The bridge of grace that God has built for us is a bridge of his light, his essence, his truth, his goodness, the peace that he brings to our soul, all the things that we just sang about and that how deep is your love song, that comes to us because he created an avenue of grace. But let's walk in it. Let's walk in it. Let's invite other people to walk in it. Regular, intentional discipleship is the best way that I know to continue walking in the light.